Yours, I had a birthday this week. Some of you are aware of that. You saw my parade that happened on Wednesday. Billy and Gay Hanbury did no great uh, service to me. In fact, great disservice to me by telling me as a small child that the flags along Hardy Street and the bank closures and the parade was all in honor of my birthday. Apparently, Veterans Day goes on on that day as well. And uh, so every year as a small child, I would walk out near the parade and wave and thank everyone for coming and celebrating my birthday. But I do want to say a word just uh, even after the fact of thanks to all of you, men and women, who have served so faithfully in our country's military and various branches. We are grateful for your service. Thank you so much. This morning I want to continue in our sermon series, It Matters What You Believe. And one of the core beliefs that I think is probably very, very misunderstood and misappropriated in the Christian life is that of our identity in Christ. And today I want us to talk about our identity in Christ. Who am I and what does that mean or why does that matter? What is the significance of of our identity in Christ. I'm going to invite your attention to Romans chapter 13, and we'll get to our text in a moment. But I want us to think about this issue of identity together. And as we focus on it and think about all that we have in Christ Jesus, all that He has done on our behalf, and and what the Bible says about us, I really believe that will free us, in many respects, to live a new and different kind of life. Many believers, I think, have struggled with this, and there have been widespread debate on the nature of a Christian. Uh, do we have one nature? Do we have now two natures? And, and it really boils down to some definitions. But I want us to, to think about this fundamentally. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a sinner saved by grace? Or do you see yourself as a saint? Think about that. It's important that you think about that correctly. And both are true. We are sinners redeemed by the grace of God. So grateful for the faithfulness of our Redeemer. But at the same time, we are saints. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, seated in heavenly places, given spiritual authority. And it's important for us to think about that sonship that is offered to us. In fact, the text that I'd put uh, there is is one of my favorites in John 1.12. We'll come to it in a moment, or or we'll get to our text in Romans in a moment. But in John 1.12, it says, To many as have received him, to them gave you the right to become sons of God. And that idea of sonship is that we would be given full access as heirs to all that the Father has for us. And you and I, as adopted children of God, our identity is wrapped up in that. And it is significant to think about our identity in those ways. Because again, I believe that we begin to act in a manner becoming of that which we already are. That's the process of sanctification, of growing up in Christ. And we'll look at that. The word identity in our day and age has really taken on new meaning in some respect as you think about this digital age. Years ago, perhaps we would talk about an identity crisis, but now we talk about lost or stolen identity. We talk about identity verification. We talk about identity protection and monitoring and even uh, recovery. It's interesting to think about um, identity. 
One of my favorite stories about lost identity, uh, we are in a presidential campaign season and years ago when Ross Perot was on the campaign trail running for president, he had an appeared stop lined up at a, a nursing home and he was going to go and just glad hand and, and meet some folks and it was a photo opportunity as you can imagine for a, a campaign and he got there and obviously when he got there he realized that they had double or even triple booked all of their activities. It was just chaotic activity going on. They'd had a birthday party in the main lobby and they're trying to move from one uh, meal time to the next and resetting the cafeteria area and he could get no one's attention. And he was trying to get somebody to stop and he would say to them, I I'm here to, to speak and I have an appointment and, and on and on. And he finally grabbed one of the uh, aides that was coming through and he grabbed her by the arm and he had gotten very frustrated by this point. He said, don't you know who I am? And she said, without missing a beat, no, sir, but if you'll go to the front desk, they'll be happy to tell you. So, lost identity. I believe that many believers are living beneath their privilege. We live at a level on a daily basis that is less than our identity. And many of us struggle with unnecessary guilt. And we carry a, a weight around with us that encumbers us from being the kind of people that the Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed us to be. I want us to say together our statement of affirmation and then we'll look together at Romans chapter 13. But let's read this together. I believe I am significant because of my position as a child of God. Let's say that again. I believe that I am significant because of my position as a child of God. That's not just positive thinking. That's not just trying to claim something uh, that's out there. We're taking the Word of God, and I, I hope that you would see the infinite value that Jesus Christ has placed upon mankind, and certainly through the shedding of His blood and the redemption that is offered through the cross, we see the great lengths to which God has gone to offer a relationship with mankind. And this is one of the most elementary subjects that most Christians don't fully understand. And as I think about this position in Christ, I, I hope that this will help us together. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. Let's look there together. Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Let's look at that last verse again. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Now this sermon is going to take a little bit different spin than some of the others in this series. In the past, we have walked directly through that doctrine. And I want us to see this as an application of the doctrine. You see, as we think about who we are in Christ, I could have spent uh, hours literally walking through all that the Bible says about who you are and what you have in Christ. And I'll be sharing some information this week on our website and in other places. And maybe Wednesday night I'll have some handouts that you can look at. But I want us to begin to claim that and walk in it. Think about this for a moment. 
Romans 5.8 is one of the clearest demonstrations of how loved you are. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love that way. You are loved by God the Father. You were purchased at a steep price. You were justified and declared innocent before God the Father. We are entitled to a clean conscience. Our sins are no longer a part of us. In fact, the sins have not been just covered, but they've been carried away. Jesus is for us that one that would completely atone for and cover our sins. But like in the book of Leviticus, the scapegoat that would carry the sins far away. Christ is completely taken care of our sins. He he uh, breaks the power, if you will, of canceled sin. We have peace with God. All throughout the early books, uh, chapters of the book of Romans, it talks about how we were enemies with God, and yet through Christ we're reconciled and have peace with Him. We're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. We are made new in Christ, born of God. We know that in the book of Corinthians, we see in Paul's letter writing that we are new creations in Christ. We are complete in Him. We are free in Him. Our joy is complete in Him. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, why would I make uh, time to list out all those things? That is just scratching the surface of, surface of all that we are in Christ Jesus. And if you and I grab hold just of those truths, it begins to radically change who we are. We need steady and constant reminders of who we are in Christ because there is a barrage of evil about us. There is wickedness that is abounding around us. And we see in this passage an application of the identity of the believer in Christ. As I was in revival this week, as we were talking about the, the evil that is around us, there was a, a young man who came and gave his heart to Christ Tuesday evening. And as we began to, to speak of that, he, he talked about how unloved he felt and how unwanted he'd felt all his life. And he said he just got a sense, not just from the sermon, but from all the activities of the week. Many friends had come and shared with him during the revival week the gospel. And he said, I understand that God really is pursuing me. God really does love me. And perhaps you've not experienced that today. I hope that you get a glimpse of the great love that the Father has lavished upon us through Jesus Christ the Son. And if you are a Christian today, that you would walk in that love. That you would walk in that grace, sustained by it, encouraged by it, and motivated by it to live a different life. You see, what we are and who we are really is fleshed out in what we do. I'll never forget, my father said, oftentimes before I left the house, remember who you are. He would also say, remember whose you are. Your activity reflects that of your name. The story is told of Alexander the Great hearing of one of his soldiers, one of his frontline foot soldiers retreating in the heat of the battle. And the young man's name was Alexander. And Alexander was brought before Alexander the Great in, in his cowarding state as he had run from the battle. He had fled and left the others there. And as he did, he brought him before him and he said, Son, what is your name? And he said, My name is Alexander. He said, No, that is my name. What is your name? He said, Sir, my name too is Alexander. And he said, Change your name or change your ways. 
You see, he didn't want to be associated with that. God the Father in our lives has transformed us to live differently, that we will be witnesses, that we will have boldness, that we will have peace that passes understanding, that we will live lives of confidence and not fear. And so wherever you find yourself today, I hope that an investigation upon and a consideration of your identity in Christ will help you to develop great confidence in Christ. In this passage of Scripture, Paul very simply begins to write uh, and share with us this concept that uh, the day is near, that in fact the day has dawned when Christ came. Have you ever thought about this church? We live between two worlds. We live in a time of yeah, already but not yet. Let me say that again. We live in a time of already, but not yet. The kingdom of God broke forth into this world in a powerful way through Christ Jesus, and He came boldly proclaiming, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Mark 1.15. As He preached that, the kingdom is here, but we know that the kingdom is not yet. There is coming a day that there will be no more ISIS attacks. Amen? There is coming a day that there will be no sadness, no sickness, no suffering, no sorrow, no tears. We know that the kingdoms of this world will be folded into the kingdoms of our God and His Christ. And everything that is not of His kingdom will be judged and cast into outer darkness. I know that Dr. Will began to speak of that last week as he talked about eternity as a core uh, doctrinal belief of ours. But as we think about this time, not that time, I long for that time. There are days that I find myself saying Maranatha, as it were. That means simply, come Lord Jesus. You ever get homesick? I don't know about you, but there are days that I just want to go home. But God didn't call me to go home yet. He called me to live here for Him. And we occupy here until He comes. We live in this in-between time of already the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is not yet. And Paul is saying that we are closer to that day of glorious light than we've ever been. We are getting closer than we've ever been. And today we need to live as children of the light. I'm going to borrow just a bit from a pastor and author named John Piper he gave two remarkable, wonderful illustrations for this passage of Scripture. And we'll begin to unpack it. The first one is that of sleepwalking. The second one is that of skydiving. Think with me for a moment. Have you ever asked yourself the question, how does a lost person make it through this world? You ever found yourself there? You go to a funeral or you hear of a co-worker that doesn't know the Lord and they have some tragedy beset their family. And you say, how in the world can they do that? I just can't even comprehend how they make it. They make it because they're walking in darkness. They don't know any better. You see, the bigger question is not how can a lost person make it through, uh, through the life itself. The, the bigger question is how do saved people act in any other way but like Jesus? How is it that we don't walk as children of the day? You see Paul saying the day has burst forth and yet many of you are still sleepwalking. He says it's time for you to take off your night clothes. Some of you are living life in your pajamas. Some of you are walking through life uh, just wearing clothes of the night. And, and our sinfulness ought to be cast aside and we ought to put on some things. And so what I want to talk to you today about from this text is very simply, how does a child of the day a Christian dress and how do we live and how do we fight and as we look at those together I want you to think about it in these terms on your listening guide I, I and again I'm just laying some foundation 
I want us to think about discipleship. Discipleship really can be defined as waking someone up to their identity and their roles in the kingdom of God. You know, we talk about discipleship in a lot of different ways. We talk about discipleship being an activity of teaching someone how to pray, how to study the Bible, how to uh, walk in the Lord, how to witness. I believe really at a, a base level for discipleship to happen, what we're doing is helping someone wake up to their identity in Christ and then live it out in their roles in the kingdom. In your life and in my life, when I begin to understand God saved me for a purpose, and that purpose is to live for His glory, and then my role of living for His glory is fleshed out in the place where He has put me. You begin to listen. As a college student, God has placed you where you are to be salt and light in the midst of the the circles that you walk in. If you are retired, if you're at work, wherever you are, God has an identity for you in Christ. All those things that we mentioned, you are saved and redeemed and given uh, all kinds of spiritual blessing and authority. And those things are given so that you will fulfill your role as being a person of the kingdom. And here we see Paul saying, the night is passing. It's time for you to stop sleepwalking. But many, many Christians are sleepwalking. I'm saying to us today, it's time to wake up. It is time for us as the body of Christ to wake up and live in the light of Christ. One day, this glorious light will be completely seen. In fact, the sun and the stars and the moon will no longer be necessary. We know that He will be the light of that city. And in the midst of that light, we will live eternally. But here and now, we live in the light of Jesus. It's important for us to wake up. A little girl was being taught as she was coming into big church for the first few times. In fact, I I love seeing the children here. I'm so thankful that we would bring them here as a part of their worship experience today to see baptism and how important is it for them to understand new life in Christ. But this little girl was asking her mom a million different questions and her mom began to ask questions back. And she said, now, why is it important that we are quiet in big church and the little girl smiled and said I know this one it's because people are sleeping well that's not the answer (laughs) obviously we want to be reverent but I'm afraid that the church is asleep with darkness all around us I just imagine my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren asking me one day pop where were you When And you begin to list out the things that have happened culturally in our world. I guess some of your children and grandchildren could ask of you, where were you when when school prayer was taken away? Where were you when abortion was legalized? Where were you when? And, And I'm not simply saying that we're called just to be activists. We're called to be witnesses for Christ. But witnesses for Christ doesn't just mean sharing the gospel for salvation. It means that we boldly live in this role of our identity as people in Christ Jesus, fulfilling kingdom roles. And our kingdom role includes being salt and light. We've got to stop the decay. I'm so thankful that we are here. But on our watch, I pray that we would stand firm and that we would be light because we're living in the day. Jesus has already said the kingdom is at hand. We know it's not yet, but in this interim time, let's live as children of the day. 
Let's live our lives as who we are. It's sort of like here's the standard. Here is Christ. And when we are saved, we, we are not made just like Christ, but we grow up into Christ, the Scripture says. And, and the bottom line is we grow into Christ. We are continually working into this process of sanctification. When we are saved, we are gloriously, radically changed, and yet there's a process of change that flows from that. I would say it this way. If you are here then you're not here. You know what I'm saying? Because you won't be here when you get here. You'll be there. When we leave this life, somebody, I knew somebody, thank you choir, they, they got that. If you're here, you're not here, you're there. If you fully have arrived, matured in Christ to the ultimate place of where you will be ultimately perfected, it will be in His very presence. But here in this earth, we continue to grow into Christ. So together, let's look at a couple of things. The first thing that I want you to see is this, how a child of God is to dress and live and fight. You can fill that in in your listening guide. How do we dress and how do we live and how do we fight? Well, the Bible is very clear here. It says that we put on a couple of things. Look with me back to the text. He says again, do this knowing the time that the already uh, the hours Excuse me, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. Do what? Back up to verse 8 with me for just a moment and see. It says, owe no one anything except what? Love. So one of the things that we ought to be marked with as children of God, as children of the light, is love. Your life should be overwhelmingly marked with love. People should feel embraced and loved around you. Now, I've said this before. Jesus loves people exactly as they are. They don't have to change a thing. He loves them perfectly. But He loves all of us too much to leave us where we are. He often told people, go and sin no more. He doesn't tolerate our sin, but He loves us with a gracious love, bringing us to that transforming power of His grace. And you and I ought to have our lives so filled with Christ and marked with our identity that we are people of love. So He says, do this... Because you know the hour for you to awaken from sleep is already. Salvation is nearer than we believe. See, he's saying the day has come, but it's not completely yet. The night is almost gone. And I believe that. I, I've heard preachers all of my 46 years say, we are closer than we've ever been to Jesus Christ coming. And I believe that. And I can stand boldly and say that because we are at the, the latter days of time. Right now is the only time that we have. So we are, in fact, closer to the return of Jesus than we ever have been before. So in this day and in this hour, the night is almost gone. The day is almost near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Isn't that interesting? He says, lay off deeds of darkness and then put on armor of light. Well, if we're laying off deeds and putting on something different, what does that mean? That we are, how do we dress as children of the light? Well, again, we could almost say that, that our sinfulness is our pajamas. You need to take off your night clothes and you need to get dressed for battle and for life. And getting dressed for life looks like this. He goes on, he says, first, put on armor of light. And he says, put on this armor of light. We know it's a battle, that we are preparing for war. The daily fight is uh, just that, it's a fight. But he goes on just a couple of verses later and he says, put on Christ. So what does it mean to put on Christ? A child of the light should be dressed in Christ. Should be walking, not in deeds of darkness, but in works of light and life. 
I want to take you to one other passage of Scripture that will shed light on this together as we do. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. I want to, I'm going to stop for a moment. One of my favorite sounds is the rustling of Bible pages. Now I realize a bunch of you are flipping through your app. But turn with me, turn your, turn your Bible on if you need to, and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The rustling of the pages of God's Word. Amen. My pastor, when I was a kid, used to say all the time, if you find somebody whose Bible is falling apart because they've used it so much, their life probably isn't. Dust on your Bible means dirt in your life. Get into the Word. So when we read the Word to God together, and I, that's just a foundational free statement. As your pastor, I expect you to bring a Bible with you, and I expect you to open it up. Let's turn together and feast upon the Word. Well, it says there these words, For those who sleep do their sleeping when? During the daytime? What does it say? At night. And those who get drunk get drunk when? At night. But since we are of what? The day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet and the hope of salvation. Look, look at that. He is laying an incredible paradox, a division. He's saying for us, those who walk in darkness do deeds of darkness living one way. But you are not of darkness. That's important. Just that one preposition of. You as a child of God are not of darkness. You are of the day. Therefore, you need to live your life in light of that. Live your life in light of the light of Christ. And how do we put on Christ? He says put on Christ through the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet and the hope of salvation. So we put on Christ by living faith, hope, and love. Pretty powerful statements, are they not? We know that those are uh, supremely powerful. We know that faith, hope, and love uh, will abide and remain, but we know that the greatest of these is love. But if we stop right there, we stop short, then, then we do great disservice to what Christ offers to us. In fact, I, I heard it said this week, this is the very difference between an evangelical church and a liberal church. A liberal church would say, you live your life in faith and hope and love. You just have faith and you live your life with a sense of hope and you love other people around you. But the Bible is clear in both Romans passage and 1 Thessalonians 5. It doesn't say just have faith and hope and love. It says, put on Christ. And so how do we have faith, hope, and love in our life? It's only in and through Christ. And if we stop short of that and leave that out, it's not a gospel message. Think about this with me. How does faith come into one's life? Romans tells us faith comes by hearing. Say it with me. Faith comes by and hearing by the Word of God. You see, how can you put on faith? Get into the Word of God. Get into the Word of God, it'll encourage your faith. One of the reasons we see people saved during revival meetings or during student camp times when we go off to student camp is because we are setting aside time and we're actually getting into the Word. Most people, sadly, sit and don't get into the Word outside the scope of these four walls or their Sunday school class. Let me encourage you, get in the Word. If you want to be a child of the light and walk in the light, then you get in the Word and develop faith. Faith is a protective part of the armor, is it not? We take up the shield of faith. And all of this begins to tie together. So I, 
in Christ Jesus and to walk not in darkness but in light. And I live my life covered in the armor of God, clothed in Christ with faith, hope, and love. Well, where does faith come from? Hearing the Word of God. Where does hope come from? I believe hope, a confident expectation, not a wish, but genuine biblical hope comes from the promises of God. And so here's what I would say to you. Dig into the Word of God and learn the promises of God. Because when you learn the promises of God, it extends your hope beyond this life. I know somebody here is getting this this morning. I really believe there's someone here that, that has struggled with your own identity. You are bought with a steep price, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, a joint heir with Him, freed in your conscience from sin, given a new nature, and you need to walk in that. Some of you just, I'm, I'm just bound up. I just can't get over this. I believe the nature of the Christian, we'll go back to that idea of the, the Christian, I believe the nature of a Christian really is in this respect, dual. That we do have this old sinful nature, the flesh, but as a believer, we now have the capacity. That's probably a better word to use, even the nature. We have a capacity to say no to sin and a capacity to live in righteousness in God. And so a lost man doesn't have that. A lost man just continues to live his life. But you and I in Christ can say no to sin. And we have this capacity for newness. And the beauty of that is that we can walk out of those acts of darkness. We can stop our sleepwalking. And walk in the light. Amen? Now, here's what I want you to see. I told you there were two illustrations. One is sleepwalking, the other skydiving. I imagine, if you will, someone skydiving. Anybody here ever been skydiving? You ever jumped out of a perfectly good airplane? On purpose? Wow. God bless you. Any, anybody ever wanted to but not yet done that? God bless you too. All right. The Bible is very, very clear on this matter. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. If you see your pastor, he's going to be low down here with Jesus, okay? <laughs> if you ever hear that we're doing work changing the lights in this sanctuary and you hear our pastor fell off an extension ladder, don't fret. I was on the second rung because I'm not going on that end of it. I'll be down here, low with Jesus. But imagine, if you will, a man or a woman skydiving and they're plummeting out of the plane and they're feeling the wind rush through their fingers and their hair and into their face at 120 miles an hour and they say, this is the most exhilarating feeling of life you can possibly imagine. But there's a problem. They don't have with them a parachute. That is the condition of lost people. You see, lost people can enjoy the common graces of God that are around us. And when you look and you say, I don't know how that lost person could face cancer or how they could face the loss of a loved one. They're experiencing the joys that are common to all of us in Christ. The problem is they don't understand that they're headed for and stored up for them is the wrath of God. The wrath of God rests upon those who have never trusted Christ. And it was stored up for you and for me until we came to Christ, but we are now no longer objects of God's wrath because His wrath fell upon Jesus Christ, that lightning rod of God who took the blow of death for you and for me, tasted death so that we might taste eternal life. And the lost people around you are plummeting toward eternal peril and they don't even know it. 
And part of the reason is because you and I are showing up at work and at school in our pajamas, in our sin. We're sleepwalking. And he says, wake up. Wake up and live the Christian experience before them. Put on armor of light. Put on faith and hope and love. Live your life differently. Not so that you will become a child of light. It says you are of the day. You are of the light. I don't do these works of witnessing and faith and hope and love as a response so that I'll be saved. I do it because I'm saved. It's much like the baptism illustration I gave you earlier. I put on a wedding ring because I'm married, not to get married. If I took this ring off and gave it to one of you, it wouldn't mean that we were now married. I'm still very securely married to Stephanie, although we're temporarily separated. We are getting back together this week. I'm so happy. She will worship with us next week, and I celebrate that. But I said those vows, and I pledged my life before God to her. And I put the ring on because every day I wanted a reminder to the world and a reminder to me, I belong to her. And you and I put on baptism as a one-time act to share with the world we belong to Jesus. But you know what the Bible says here? Put on Christ daily, faith, hope, and love. How does faith come into our lives? Hearing. How does hope come? By the promises of God. How does love come into our lives? I believe it's a reflection of the loveliness and the beauty of Christ. So just begin to spend time recognizing the beauty of Christ and all the majesty and glory of God. And as you do, love begins to flow from Him and through our lives. The final word, why do we do all of this? You remember, if you will, the, the title of this whole message is Who am I and what does that mean? How does a child of God live? We've talked about how we dress. We dress not in uh, deeds of darkness. We put off those things and we put on the armor of light. We put on Christ. How do we fight? We fight with the weapons of spiritual warfare. We're not fighting with one another. We take up the shield of faith and we take up the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. But how does a child of God live? We walk in the light. Now, this is where this comes from, directly out of this text. At the very end of what we read, it says, put on Christ, and then it says, so that you give no provision for the flesh. Not only should I not sin, I don't even need to awaken thoughts that lead me toward thinking about sin. Provision there means pre-thought in the biblical language. I need to make no pre-thought that would awaken any thought that would lead towards sin. I need to be so far removed from it. Why in the world would I do that? It would be, sin ought to be as embarrassing in my life as wearing my pajamas to work. It's shameful, it's silly, and it's deadly. It's far more than just wearing pajamas to work. Sinfulness in this Context says, you are a child of light. Why in the world would you walk in darkness? And for me, this revolutionizes my thought process. I go back to what I said when we go to revival or youth camp. I'm hearing the word of God constantly. You and I need to daily begin to encourage one another and challenge one another in the word of God so that we would walk in Christ, clothed in Christ, not giving any provision, no pre-thought, no room for sin anywhere in our lives. And when we do that, people around us will see the difference. 
Hardy Street Baptist Church, may we be people of the day. May we walk in the light of Jesus Christ, knowing that the light that has come is, is even dim. Paul said it this way, for now we see darkly as through a glass. One day we will see face to face. We will see the glorious radiance of God. And when John, the apostle, saw those things, what happened in his life? It says he fell down as though dead. And he tried to stretch the English language as far as he could. He said, oh, there were rainbows of living color around the throne. There was unbelievable sights. There were pearls and there was a, a sea of glass and there was gold that was so pure you could see right through it. That makes no sense in our world, in a physical world. But in the, the economy of God, there's a radiant brilliance that we will see that is the glory of God. And as we see the glory of God, a glimpse of it today, we should encourage others to see that so that we together walk as children of the light, making no provision for the flesh and its lusts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, thank you for this time of worship. I pray, God, that you would just continue to use these words in each of our hearts that we might walk as we ought. God, if there's one here today that's never walked into the light, that they've lived in darkness and they have no real hope, maybe today you have awakened their spirit to their need for Christ. I pray, God, that they would step out from where they are and trust you. Father, we thank you for this time of decision. In Jesus' name, amen.